unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. I've been listening to too much uh, NPR lately, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it sounded awfully calm and, and relaxed. <laughs> so this is a rare episode. You didn't send me the notes in advance. I have no idea where we're going with this episode. So I'm just going to uh, do my best to keep up as as we tear through this one. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the notes later. But um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that some copy you read is immediately believable, while other copy leaves you wondering whether it's a real deal or not? Well, one of the most important reasons copy is believable is whether the copywriter used one or hopefully more of a few little hacks. And today, continuing in our old master series, I found an extremely valuable chapter in an old book that spells out what these hacks are. I'll leave it to you to decide how valuable they really are and whether you're already using them or should use them more than you do now. I'll also leave it to you to remember this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So again, I've noticed a lot of copywriters miss out on some of these things, and it hurts the believability of your copy when you don't use these things. I've picked out five of them from A.O. Owens' chapter in Masters of Advertising Copy, an old book. But to make them a little clearer and more obvious, I've included examples from three winning pieces of copy so you can see and hear exactly what they look at, look like. Now, the first place I went looking for examples was from a famous newspaper ad from the 1970s, The Lazy Man's Way to Riches by Joe Carbo. The second source of examples was a sales letter I wrote for a local business in San Ramon, California in 2006. What, and it was a Mendelssohn Auto Body in San Ramon. Once he mailed the letter, the business was flooded with customers. The ad was for a summer special to get your car detailed. And the third example was from an online sales letter that's running right now and has just crossed the $10 million mark in sales. It's by Million Dollar Mike Morgan. It's a financial promotion, and for business reasons, I don't have permission to tell you anything more than that about the letter but I will mention that Million Dollar Mike is a former guest on Copywriters Podcast and a former mentoring client of mine. Okay, let's get back to the old master who wrote this chapter. A.O. Owen. I can't find out much about him other than what it says in the book, which is that he was a well-known sales promotion copywriter and copy chief with large publishing houses who has lectured on copywriting and written many ads of all types. I believe he wrote the chapter in the 1920s, but as you will soon see, what he wrote is every bit as true today as it was 100 years ago. Okay, to get us started, 
Here's a quote from chapter 15, the one Mr. Owen wrote. The chapter is titled, Believable Advertising. And he says, to tell the truth in a way that people recognize it as truth is one of the hardest things men set themselves to do. And these days, of course, women too. There is a technique of believability in advertising. There are definite things to do with copy to make a transfer to other minds, the solid grounds for approval. All right, so our first tweak is figures, what he calls figures, which, you know, could mean a lot of things. He means exact numbers. He says, it may be set down as a copy axiom, always to use figures when possible instead of round sums. This may often make awkward copy, but it is characteristic of facts that they interfere with smoothness. Reality has a rhythm of its own. Interesting, interesting thought. So let's take a look at a few examples of, of using numbers in copy. Okay. Um, this is from Million Dollar Mike's um, mystery sales letter. Subhead, global e-commerce is currently one of the fastest growing industries on the planet. And then under that, it's grown an astounding 20.7% in 2019, approaching $5 trillion in sales by 2021. Now imagine if you'd left that sentence out and all you saw was global e-commerce is currently one of the fastest growing industries on the planet. And then he just moved on to something else. It wouldn't have nearly the same impact. Okay. In the TED letter, in the uh, TED Mendelssohn letter, I wrote this. P.S. As I'm writing this letter, one of our neighbors is pulling into the lot and driving a brand new BMW. It's a great looking car. He probably spent $40,000 for it. By coming in every few months to get regular care for the car's exterior, he'll keep it looking like $40,000. Big difference between that and it looks like an expensive car. It'll keep looking like an expensive car. Right. And I, I love the lazy man's way to riches. He's got a lot of numbers in this. He's, he's telling his story about how well he is doing. He says, my quote office unquote is about a mile and a half from my home, right on the beach. My view is so breathtaking. Others don't see how I can get any work done, but I do enough about six hours a day, eight or nine months a year. The rest of the time we spend at our mountain cabin. I spent $30,000 for it in cash. And just a side note, um, adjusted for inflation, because he wrote this in 1973, that's $181,000 in $2020 that he um, paid cash for the cabin. And then he says, I have two boats and a Cadillac, all paid for. Um, use of real accurate numbers, it makes a difference, doesn't it, Nathan? Yeah, two things that come to mind. Number one, I've seen, as far as believability goes, 38.94 is usually more believable than 40. And uh, also when it comes to pricing, I learned this from something that I got. I think it was a program I got from Dan Kennedy. Uh, when the price is rounded up, it sounds like just an arbitrary number. But when the price is... Um, $41,723. It seems like you put a lot of thought into making sure that this was the accurate price. And so even when it comes to just pricing, um, numbers and uh, the way that you use numbers can 
add credibility or believability. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, just, you know, getting down to that nitty gritty, which a lot of people don't want to harass the reader, but actually readers appreciate that. Okay, let's go to tweak number two. He uses a sort of old-fashioned term, proper nouns. And what he's referring to is city, state, country, and people's names. Um, so A.O. Owen says proper nouns are almost as valuable as figures in advertising. It is more believable to say styles now reigning from Rue de la Paix, Paris, to Fifth Avenue, New York. That's more believable than styles now reigning from the fashion centers of Europe to those of America. So here, here's a few examples of mostly city names and street names. Um, in Million Dollar Mike's letter, without staying up all, he's telling the reader they won't have to stay up all hours of the night to get the latest economic news from London, Tokyo, or Sydney. Ted Mendelson says, we're at 38 Beta Court in San Ramon, very specific location. And the lazy man's way to riches, he says, it doesn't require quote-unquote experience. A widow in Chicago has been averaging $25,000 a year for the past five years using my method, which in 2020 dollars would be $151,000 a year. Not too bad. Yeah, um, uh, it, it's so easy to just gloss over and say, people in Europe are doing this, or you know, an Asian scientist, whereas if you say a, a scientist from Hong Kong at, you know, and then maybe a proper name of a university, Boy, it makes a difference. It makes it seem real, right? Yeah. So uh, this is similar to the last example, and I want to pick your brain about it. Doing a vague generality versus kind of zooming in to a, a detailed specific. So whether it's a general number versus a very specific number or a general general area versus a very specific geographic location. Why is it that the general becomes less believable, but the very specific becomes more believable? What is it in our heads that makes the zooming into the specific more believable? Yeah, good question. So I have a, a saying that, you know, we think in terms of generalities, but life is lived in terms of specifics. So um, you know, when, when someone, t have you ever had someone who is annoyingly detail oriented and they start telling you a story about what happened and they just include every little detail, twist and turn, um, stuff that might not be all that interesting, but you know, it really happened. Um, it's, it's just how we live as opposed to how we think. And what you want copy to do is make it seem as much like you're really there. The person's really there when they're reading it. It's just, it, it all, it all uh, returns back to human behavior and the way we actually talk about things in real life when we're not trying to, you know, expound in broad generalities. Okay. All right. So the third one is of a different sort. He calls it giving yourself away. And it, it doesn't mean not charging anything for what you're doing. It means admitting you're only human. The author says it is contrary to all advertising doctrine that advertising should admit a fault in the thing that is advertised. 
Yet among the oddities of faith that we seldom believe a statement is that we seldom believe a statement which is an unqualified catalog of excellences, just as we seldom really like a strong man until we learn his weaknesses and failings. Um, Boy, that's a mouthful. But what he's saying is people don't believe other people or statements about products which make it perfect. They they want it to be excellent, but they don't. They they want it to be real. So let me let me give you a few, a couple of quick examples. Um, in Million Dollar Mike's letter, the guy is talking about the future and and where markets are going. But then he says, no one has a crystal ball to predict the future, not even me. And in Lazy Man's Way to Riches, you know, he, here's a guy who's saying he's made all kinds of money and he's going to show you how to do it. And then he says, and this is the quote, it doesn't require quote unquote education. I'm a high school graduate. It doesn't require capital. When I started out, I was so deep in debt that a lawyer friend advised bankruptcy is the only way out. Now, I think this one's a little better known by a lot of copywriters. We talk about the damaging admission, you know, and, um, of course, maybe a hundred years ago, people weren't as familiar with that idea. I think what it really comes down to is that old saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If the copy doesn't have that damaging admission, or if it doesn't have a skeleton in the closet that we can make dance as the copywriter, the reader is going to be reading it and being like, okay, it sounds great, but it sounds too good to be true. And so we need to add something or put something in there that kind of combats that to make it more believable. I think that's right. Yeah. And the fourth one is interesting. It's about superlatives. He says, don't use them. They reduce believability. Now we'll, we'll get to some of the current conditions that absolutely force you not to use superlatives. But back in the day, AO Owen was saying, A good many publications will not allow advertisers to apply superlatives to their products. Um, And I'll I'll note that Google ads will not allow you to use superlatives. Superlatives being like the best, the biggest, the greatest, the the tallest, the right? You you can't do it. They they won't approve the ad. And I don't think Facebook lets you do that either. And so much advertising is on Facebook and Google ads these days. People already know this, but they're actually doing you a favor by not allowing you to do it. Um, back to A.O. Owen's comment. In the beginning, um, not, not being able to apply superlatives, in the beginning, this irked many copywriters or their employers. But I believe most of these have since learned that the inhibition helped them by making their stories more believable. Now, I'm going to read you a quote from the uh, Autobody letter, the TED letter and and point something out. That's why Mendelssohn Autobody is offering offering you a summer special offer for your car. When you get a full detail buff or wax for as little as $39.95, see the enclosed flyer for price information, you get a free one month supply of Meguiar's professional final inspection in a handy spray bottle. Meguiar's is easy to use. Just spray it on a day or two after you wash your car and wipe it off. It extends the protection you get from us even further. Now, what's interesting there is I could have said, McGuire's, it's absolutely the 
best way, in fact, the only way that any real car buff, which would have been a bad pun, um, you know, keeps his, um, uh, you know, the auto body shiny and, and perfect. And it would have been like, whoa, back off, too much hype, you know? Um, so we talked about how good it was, but we didn't use a superlative. And I think it worked out better that way. You have any thoughts on superlatives? Uh, I, I have seen them work, but the only time I've ever seen them work effectively is when it's quoting somebody else. Time magazine named us the best in whatever, whatever, or the local uh, chamber of commerce was quoted as saying we were the most extraordinary, whatever, whatever. I've seen it work there, but when, when it's you, the copywriter, just making the claim, uh, it tends to blow up in your face has been my experience. Yeah, I agree. For example, if there were such a thing as the world copywriting authority and it said we were rated the best copywriting podcast by the world copywriting authority, that might work. But if we just say we have the best copywriting podcast online, no one would believe it that way. Right. Yeah. It's also why I introduce you as the world's greatest copywriting coach, but you don't start the show saying I'm David Garfinkel, the world's greatest copywriting coach. No, I mean, people say that and I just say, yes, yes, more, more. <laughs> do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, so let's go to the last one, which he calls motives. Um, and motives are basically a reason why. Um, and I'll, I'll read what he says, and then I will add something to it. If an advertiser promises to do something that looks to be rather noble and disinterested, he should never omit to explain. I can't believe this guy was a copywriter. Listen to the way you write. He should never omit to explain his motives for doing so if he expects to be believed. There is always a business reason for doing things of this sort. So there are really a couple kinds of reasons why. Um, one is at least, at least two. Two main ones, I think. One is the reason why I, as the business or the business owner or the person writing, supposedly writing the sales letter, is making you this great offer. The other is the reason why you should do it. Those are, you know, the reason why you should buy this or you should try this. Those are two kinds of reasons why, but they both work well. Um, in the, and in, in this case, with Million Dollar Mike's letter, um, 
this may not make sense out of context. Unfortunately, I'm sworn to secrecy on the context of what his letter is about. But even so, it's it's interesting because it helps you make yeah reasons why I help you make sense of things. So he wrote, "Do you wonder why your prescriptions are so expensive? Well, there are a few reasons, but one of them is middlemen. Middlemen in the pharmaceutical industry add a whopping three hundred and twenty billion a year to our prescription prices." So he's not selling anything about prescriptions or middlemen, but you go, oh, yeah, that, that, that explains it. If there are all these people padding the price, of course they're expensive. And just by having that reaction, you're going to believe what he's saying a little more. Now, in, in the headline for the TED letter, the uh, auto body letter, and, and by the way, I want to say I wrote this letter in 2006, so don't hold me or Ted to this offer. I'm not sure he's doing it anymore. This was 14 years ago. But anyway, he says, here's a special offer to keep your car looking new. Plus, you get a free gift to protect your car all summer long. Well, we now know the free gift was the Meguiar's. But the point is, each of those sentences has a reason why. Here's a special offer. Why? To keep your car looking new. Plus, you get a free gift. Why? to protect your car all summer long. So those, those things by themselves are subtle, but they, they add believability. And then in the lazy man's way to riches, he says, you don't have to give up your job, but you soon may be, may be making so much money that you'll be able to. There's a very subtle reason why in there. Um, you'll make so much money the reason you'll be able to give up your job if you want is you'll be making so much money with this secret that I'm going to be selling you. Um, reason why is very powerful. And sometimes it works better when it's a little subtle or indirect, like the examples I just gave. I've seen probably more familiar examples of this. Everything must go 50% off. We're liquidating because we didn't get rid of all of last year's stock and now the 2020 models have arrived or the 2021 models have arrived or the boss is on vacation. And so we're going to be liquidating everything at 30% off. Um, if it's just 50% off, it sounds too good to be true. Why would they, they must be damaged. It must they maybe there was a flood or maybe uh, the truck rolled and now they're trying to pawn off all their crap onto me. Oh, no, it's because the new models have arrived and they need room on their showroom floor, so they have to get rid of the old ones. So it only makes sense that they would be, get ri they would be getting rid of them at 50% off. So it takes me out of the something's not right here and into the, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's good. I think Cialdini um, found this. I, I don't remember the exact words that were used, but he did an experiment where in the old days when people used to use copying machines a lot, um, someone would, would say, hey, can I get to the front of the line? And most people would say no. But if the guy said, hey, could I get the front of, to the front of the line because I have an appointment at the zoo to look at one of the elephants or something totally ridiculous, um, people would go, oh, yeah, sure. And they, mm -hmm. they'd let him in. Um, reason why it's very powerful. So um, let's, let's review these. Um, the, the first one is figures, which means exact numbers. The second one is proper nouns, city, state, country, people's names. 
Um, third one is giving yourself away. That is admitting you're only human. Fourth one is superlatives. Don't use them. Although I really like Nathan's exception. Don't use them if you're saying them, but you can use them if someone else said them about you. And the fifth one, of course, is motives or reason why. Uh, any any further thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I just want to drill this home. People act based off of what they believe. And if they haven't bought yet, it's because they believe something about you, about themselves, about their pro- about your product. Maybe they believe the offer will work, but it won't work for them because they've got bad genetics. Or maybe they believe that uh, everybody in your industry is a snake oil salesman. Or maybe there's a bunch of different beliefs that they have that prevent them from buying. And as a copywriter, what our job is, is to know what belief they're holding on to that is preventing them from buying and what we need them to believe in order to get them to buy. And that's what it, maybe it's a little bit deeper than what we covered in this episode, but a lot of what I do as a copywriter is figure out what do I need them to believe and how do I get them to believe it? And all of these, these points are subtle little ways to move them from their negative belief system into the positive belief system to where they'll take action when I, when I ask them, Hey, bye now. Yeah, that, that is a little deeper than, than we went today earlier, but you're absolutely right. I mean, once, once someone's a true believer, they'll buy anything. All right, David. Uh, another fantastic episode. I really love these old masters because it's, it's crazy just watching how you, you, you brought up the way he writes probably wouldn't be acceptable for copywriters nowadays. Things change, but a lot of stuff stays the same. And these old master series really point out how human psychology and what makes us tick is very much the same now as it was a hundred years ago. Yeah, that's true. I mean, what's different is, is the language, the buzzwords, the, the way people express things. But there are some eternal truths about human psychology, and it's as true today as it was in 1920. Absolutely. And we have a bunch of these old masters. Uh, we've recorded probably close to 10 different episodes based off of the teachings of some of the original direct response copywriters. If you want to check out more of that, head on over to the Copywriters Podcast website, and that's over at copywriterspodcast.com. Anything else before we're out of here, David? No, I think we're good. Awesome, man. Until next time, we'll catch you later. Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This show was brought to you by the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.